Welcome to another UCTV.TV podcast presented by University of California Television. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Dave Webb. I manage speaker programming for the forum, excuse me, for Madavi Center. Uh, welcome to our third event of the forum at MC, which is a series of free panel discussions that we have to uh, gather our faculty, our colleagues in the arts, and our visiting artists and lecturers to talk about the arts at UC Davis. Um, let's see. I'd like to introduce our panelists. Our, mo our moderator, Jeffrey Callison, was born in Scotland. Jeffrey moved to California in 1989 and started his radio journalism career at NPR affiliate QKUSP-FM in Santa Cruz. He joined Capital Public Radio in 1996 as a classical announcer, but soon returned to radio news. He became KHJZ's news director in 2000 and was named Insight's first host in 2004. On the far end, Dr. Milman F. Harrison is an associate professor and current director of the African American and African Studies program at University of California, Davis. A graduate of UC Davis, he received his PhD in sociology from UC Santa Barbara in 1999. His research and teaching areas include African American culture, sociology of religion with an emphasis on the black church in America, and racial and ethnic relations in the United States. His most recent publications include the book Righteous Riches, the World of Faith Movement in Contemporary African American Religion. He's currently working on several new projects, including a book at the, at the, looking at the production of contemporary black gospel music. Dr. Harrison was recently uh, selected as one of six recipients of the Chancellor's Fellowship at UC Davis. Now comes the inestimable task of doing a brief introduction of Mavis Staples. She began her career with a family group in 1960 excuse me, in 1950, initially singing locally at churches and appearing on a weekly radio show, Mavis graduated high school in 57, 1957 as the Staples singers took their music on the road. Led by family patriarch Roebuck Pop Staples on guitar, the Staples singers included the voices of Mavis and her siblings Cleo, Yvonne, and Purvis. By the mid-1960s, the Staples singers, inspired by Pop's close friendship with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., became the spiritual and musical voices of the civil rights movement. The group signed to Stax Records in 1968, joining their gospel harmonies with musical accompaniment from members of Booker T. and the MGs. The Staples singers hit the top 48 times between 1971 and 75, including the number one single, I'll Take You There. Her solo career has been marked by many notable and important records. She recorded her first solo album, Mavis Staples, for the famed Stax label in 1969. Her many recordings include two albums under the direction of Prince and the 1996 Spirituals and Gospels, a tribute to Mahalia Jackson. Her most recent album, entitled Live, Hope at the Hideout, captures Miss Staples as she returned home to Chicago this last June for a Fury Live performance. However, our discussion today and the concert tonight, for which there are still tickets available at the Mandavi Center ticket office, take her back to her roots in the civil rights movement. The CD, entitled We'll Never Turn Back, was described by the Wall Street Journal as Mavis Staples' magnum opus. On this, Mavis Staples said, and I quote, like many in the civil rights movement, the Staples singers drew on the spirituality and strength of the church to help gain social justice and to try to achieve equal rights. I hope to get across the same feeling, the same spirit, and the same message as we did then, and hopefully continue to make positive changes. Things are better, but we're not where we need to be, and we'll never turn back. Please welcome our distinguished panel. Thank you. 
Well, let's start. Mavis Staples, um, how important was the music to the civil rights movement? How did the songs and the singing inspire people to do what they had to do? Well, the, uh, the songs were stories and true stories and statements that we needed to hear as we marched. Um, they inspired and motivated and kept uh, the lively moment for when we'd get so tired and, and uh, keep you moving. You know, eyes, uh, uh, keep your eyes on the prize. Don't stop, don't, don't give up. You know, um, the songs were just the soundtrack of the movement. You know, music, if you have some music and you, you're doing some hard uh, tussling, hard climbing, and music helps you get there faster. And, and as a singer, what, what did that make you for all the people who were in the civil rights movement but weren't well known? What, what were you to them, do you think? You know, there were no big eyes and little U's. Everybody was the same. We were the staple singers, and um, um, we had our, our records and our... Uh, of course, people were happy to see that we were a part of, you know, but, um, and we were proud to be a part of, but I don't think we were, you know, um, really like you would say, oh, the staple singers are with us, oh, so and so and so, you know, it's just, uh, we were black too, you know, and we wanted uh, injustice to be um, um, eradicated, and we wanted to have our rights. We wanted to drink off a fountain that didn't have a sign for colored only. So we, we, we were very much apart, and we felt that we should be because um, this is our plight, as well as the rest of the people who were, were uh, marching and singing. Everybody was singing. Not just us. <laughs> Everybody would sing. Yeah. Milman Harrison, where did, these, where did these great songs from the civil rights movement come from? Well, <clears throat> many of them were songs that people in the churches already knew. And that was the really wonderful thing about it. And it also illustrates the importance of the black church as an institutional support for the civil rights movement. Uh, since so many people knew these songs, it became very easy to change the song from hold on, keep your hand on the plow to changing it to say, keep your eyes on the prize. And people get, hold on. The message is the same. So it's that it's it's one example, but it's a very good example, a very clear example of how African-Americans were able to utilize cultural resources that they already had in existence, bring them together, and the songs are one of the things that allowed people to come together and get on the same step um, much more efficiently um, than they might have if, they, if we had to teach a whole new set of brand new songs. Well, Mavis, um, the, the songs that were so powerful during the civil rights movement, did they have a different meaning to you when you were young or maybe to your parents and grandparents' generation? Well, I, um, I, I'm sure they had a different meaning to my parents and grandparents. Um, but I was, um, I was a young girl, and uh, I knew what the songs, you know, 
the lyrics meant, and I knew what time it was, because our father, um, our our songs, when we first started singing, our songs were um, more popular in the South, and we traveled in the South more than we did up North back in the 50s and 60s. So Pops had uh, educated us and uh, for what we were to expect when we went south. So I understood the meaning of the songs. You know, and, and I guess just the thing with me, um, from the time I first, first started singing, a kid, uh, I knew what I was singing about. You know, so uh, the, the songs, uh, you know, they, they just, when you know, when you see the lyrics and you picture them in your mind, you make a vision, then you're going to deliver those songs the way they, the lyrics are written. So it didn't, uh, it wasn't any different. It was, I'm sure it was different for me than my mother and father and my grandparents because they surely lived it much more than I did. But uh, that answers your question. You mentioned your father and touring the South. You were born in Chicago, but your father, Pops, was born in Mississippi, wasn't he? Winona, Mississippi. Yes. So what was it like for you when you were young going to the South for the first time? Um, <clears throat> you know, I, uh, the first time we went to South, I was maybe about six or seven years old. Pops we, he, he had so many children, you know, he would send my sister Yvonne and I to Mississippi to stay with my grandmother. As he said, we would, we would wear our shoes every weekend. And if we went down south, we could, uh, my grandmother could help. But uh, I loved the south. I loved it. But the, the thing was, we were protected when I was going down there those first times because my grandmother lived in an all-black town. She lived in Mount Bayou, Mississippi, which was all black town. And we, I didn't see much trouble uh, uh, doing those, until we would go to Cleveland. We'd go up to Cleveland, which was nine miles away, and we'd go to Marigold. Well, Cleveland was like a little bigger city. And this was when I would see um, the signs. Um, uh, and my grandmother had, would, would teach me no, baby, you, you can't go in that bathroom. You go over here. Well, I, you know, um, being so young, I don't think I really understood. I just did what she told me. And um, as we traveled, as time went on, um, we started singing when I was about eight years old. And uh, then we, we started traveling. Uh, we, we started recording when I was maybe 11. As time went on, as I grew, I knew more about what the South was about. You know, was Pop was tell, we'd go down, down, down uh, town in Jackson, Mississippi, and Pop was always tough. You know, he'd tell us, now, you all go down there and um, uh, don't start nothing. And then he'd say, but don't take nothing either. <laughs> you know, so, so we knew, we knew if we had to battle, we would battle it out, you know. But we 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 had some times where uh, we'd go in, we'd see three pair of shoes in the window, most expensive shoes in the store, and we wanted to sing on stage in them. Um, um, we the, the ladies, she had all three sizes, so we said, oh well, we we better try these on, and she stopped us. She said, well, hon, now if you want to try them on, you have to go behind that curtain over there. 
and here was an old raggedy crocus sack curtain hanging, and 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 we would tell her, well, no, we can't take these. And the first thing anyone would say when you turn some, oh, you all not from here, are you? Mm. And we say, we say, oh yes, we've been living here all our lives, you know. <laughs> so it was like Pop said, don't start nothing, but don't take nothing, and we wouldn't. Do you remember when you first? When you first realized that something was quite different in the South and you didn't like it? Oh, yeah. Well, well like I say, Pops, Pops um, schooled us. Pops let us know what to expect, you know. And um, so I just knew I, I, would, I would be nervous at times. I knew what to expect. I knew that there was prejudice. I knew that we were black people and we were going to be treated differently, you know. Um, uh, there were so many times, so many incidents that uh, we had that would really, really frighten me, you know, because you, you, you hear about what these people in the South would do to you, and you, you, excuse me, if you go against their word or go against something that uh, they don't like, you could, you could not make it back home, you know. So um, I, I, um, I understood. Uh, Pops uh, set us all down, and he told us very well what he went through as a boy and what we can expect when we go down south. So um, as long as I was with my father, though, I didn't have much fear. You know, because Pops, Pops didn't take nothing. You know, he, he, we, we've, had, we've had some young white guys. We were driving, you know, and we had some young guys trying to move us off the highway, you know, and Pops would just right back into them, you know. He just, he said, no, nah, you're young bucks, you won't get me. You know, it ain't, days ain't, this, this was the 50s, the late 50s and the early 60s. So um, we just, uh, you, you know, it, 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 was, it was a hurting feeling that we were looked at, looked upon as, as uh, not as good as, as we, we're all, you know, as good as you are. You know, um, it makes you feel bad. It makes, but you you have God on your side, you know, and you know how to pray, and you know how to thank the Lord that you made it through another day, and thank the Lord that you woke up this morning, you know. So we had mostly fun being a kid. I would have fun. We we <laughs> we'd, we'd run into the other singers on the road, and you know. Um, there wasn't, what, what really got me was that we couldn't stay in hotels. We couldn't, we had to stay in what you call tourist homes, you know. What did that black, mean? Hmm? What did that mean? A tourist home is a black family has uh, made their, you know, they might have a certain lot, amount of rooms in their own home. And they would rent the rooms out. To, uh, and this was for most black people, even baseball players. We would run into baseball players doing barnstorming. And, and, um, and, and a lot of these baseball players uh, got to be really famous. But they were in the same predicament we were. They couldn't stay either. They couldn't stay in the hotels. Um, a tourist home, would you stay there. Uh, we'd have a room. My sisters and I, we'd have one room. Pops have a room. And the next morning, the, the, the lady, uh, the, the mom of the house, she would fix breakfast. And, you know, and we, we'd go to our concerts and come back there. And that was all over the South. 
They had them all over. So that's where blacks, that's where we had to stay. We couldn't, um, we couldn't, you know, Pop says, he let us know, if you, you don't want to go in this, this restaurant, you want to go in, you have to go in the back door, you know. And he said, but we'll never do that. We won't go in the back door. If we, we'll starve first, you know. So, and we did get caught on the road one time there, you know, Thanksgiving. And it used to be a time all of the church people would invite you to dinner to their house. Well, this particular Thanksgiving, nobody invited us out. <laughs> And we could smell turkey. We could smell, <laughs> you know. So, so uh, we went to the grocery store, bought us some bread, cold cuts, and we made us sandwiches in the car. And uh, we we pulled on the side of the highway. I told her, and and I looked. He was this cow, and the cow stared me down. I was staring at the cow. I said, I said, Daddy, this cow, I don't think the cow wants us here. You know, he just looked like he was going to come at me. And, it, you know, and, and what made it so bad, the cow was black and white. You know? <laughs> so, so we had to move from that spot. We had to move. <laughs> I couldn't stay there with this cow. Yeah. But uh, we, we had good times in the South. You know, um, um, living down there, you see the difference. You see the gravel roads, you know, and you get back to Chicago and, and uh, you, the, the children, the kids, the schools, every, you know, I was the May Queen in, at the, at the, in school down in Mount Bio, and, and uh, I got my worst, worst switching, you know. Your grandparents used switches on your legs, you know. So I just, just love to sing. And I would walk to school, walk down this gravel road every morning. The jukeboxes, I'm already juking, you know. And uh, this song, Buddy Miller, I mean, Buddy and Ella Johnson, Buddy and Ella Johnson, they were singing, you made me leave my happy home. Well, I loved it. And I heard it so much. I heard it so many times. I learned it. And so uh, the kids in school, we had a variety show. They knew I loved to sing. So they pushed me on stage. I didn't want to go, but they pushed me out there. And when I got to the middle of the stage, this is what came out of my mouth. And I was just singing. You know, school is, is, is uh, elementary to intermediate. And I saw my uncle coming around the wall. You know, he was 16 years old. He was in uh, uh, higher grade. And I thought he was coming, you know, coming up to pat me on my head, tell me I was doing a good job. He snatched me off the stage. <laughs> right in the middle of my song, he snatched me. And I didn't know, he walked me on out to, do, out to schoolhouse to my grandmother's house. He pushed me in the door and told my grandmother, this youngin' is up at schoolhouse singing the blues. <laughs> and boy, <laughs> oh, you singing the blues, huh? And uh, nobody had ever told me what to sing. You know, I didn't, I didn't know. Uh, I wasn't supposed to sing the blues. She said, you get out there and get me some switches. Well, I knew what those switches were. I came back, I said, Grandmama, I can't find no switches. <laughs> 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 so she said, don't you make me have to go out there. <laughs> so I went back and I brought some switches in and she got my little legs and you don't sing no blues in this house. You don't sing, you sing church songs. You, you know, so um, I started 
printing letters to my mother saying, I want to come home because Grandma won't let me sing. <laughs> and, uh, but that was, uh, those were times I had in the South. You know, th there's so many memories. I loved the South. I still like going South. But, um, and it's much better today. How was life different um, for you in Chicago when you were growing up compared to the South? You know, um, Chicago wasn't much better. It really wasn't. No, it, 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 if you're in your neighborhood, you're fine. But if you go to a different neighborhood or if you go downtown, you know, you want to go shopping, well, you, you, the, the sales lady is just as good to wait on everybody in the store before they wait on you. You know, so it was, um, you, we couldn't move into certain areas of Chicago. And, and it's a shame to say, but it's, it's still today. You know, this is what prompted me to make my CD, We'll Never Turn Back. You know, you, you, Pops used to tell the songwriters, if you want to write for the staples, read the headlines. We want to sing about what's happening in the world today. And, and I read the headlines, I see Katrina, I see a black man being shot in New York City, 50 rounds, young black man on his way to his wedding. And right in Chicago, I can turn on the news, a black family might move into a white neighborhood. They get in, fine. And they go to bed, they wake up the next morning, their garage is spray-painted, inward, get out. You know, their cars all spray-painted. So it's, 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 it's a part, you know, it's still, it's not as bad as it used to be, but it, it still exists. Well, in your album, um, We'll Never Turn Back, the song 99 and a Half, yeah. that you've updated that. You talk about the levees and so on. The levees, yes. Yes, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. I put it in there. <laughs> I meant for it to be talked about the politicians, lying politicians, babies, you know. Uh, uh, and, 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 you know, it's amazing how these lyrics just came. You know, because they were so true. And uh, th this, this stuff wasn't written down. The stories in my CD, they weren't written down. They, they just, as, as I was singing, doing this CD, these were, were, were feelings that were coming out of me, you know, and, and straight from my heart. And they, they, they uh, are still true today. 99 and a half won't do. We got to make 100. And 99 and a half is old gospel song. You know, Sister Dorothy Love Coates. And so, but Rakuda, Rakuda and I, we, we, we wanted to sing. So we, we changed, you know, made it a freedom song. 99 and a half. And then, um, you know, uh, um, address. You're going to make to heaven. The address is 100. 100. So <laughs> 99 and a half won't get you there. Uh, Milman Harrison, you're an expert in gospel music. Tell us about that song for people who are not familiar with it. Well, I wouldn't say I'm an expert on it, but <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of pressure. Uh, but no, it's, it's one of those types of songs, as Ms. Mavis was saying, that they, it kind of it, it gives you a window into African-American people's consciousness. You know, again, as she was just saying, you know, Things have, uh, you may be traveling around and you may be on stage and, and, and people are listening to you, and yet you have to go to the back to walk into the, um, to a restaurant. Mm -hmm. 
that's 99 and a half. I, it, I, it won't do. There you go. <laughs> if it's not 100% right. freedom and equality, 99 and a half won't do. Right. The, the original meaning of the song before it became a, um, a freedom song refers to people's spiritual walk. In other words, you need to live, you need to walk in your everyday life, your spiritual life to the best of your ability because 99 and a half just, it's close. It's very close, but if it's not 100%, if you're not 100% sold out, then it won't do. And it's, and it's very much about don't give up until you have done all you can and, 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 as, and have gotten as far as you possibly can go. Mavis, what was it like to, to be up on stage during the civil rights era and sing these inspiring songs to people who were, in some cases, at risk of losing their life and who were you know, looking to this music, turning to this music to keep them going. <clears throat> you know, it was, um, you know, we, we, we felt that we were doing good. We felt that we were doing what we were supposed to be doing. We, um, uh, we're, 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 we're trying to make your, your way easier through these songs. We're trying to make you uh, uh, know that a better day is coming. You know, and um, um, I feel good. It felt good to be singing the songs, you know, um, because I, I know Pops always taught me, you know, Mavis. You know, I, I was on stage in New York one time. I saw these kids my age, 13 years old, and they were jumping around and singing loud. And, and so when it came my turn to sing, I did the same thing. And Pops snatched me. He said, Mavis, what are you doing? I said, Nothing, Daddy. He said, listen, you don't need no gimmicks, and you don't sing at the top of your voice when you're singing God's music. You be sincere and sing from your heart. If you sing from your heart, what comes from the heart reaches the heart. And you'll reach the people if you sing from your heart. So that's all. That's Anytime I go on stage, I go into my heart and... When I was singing the songs, I felt that I was reaching the people, and they were getting the message, and it was making them feel better. You know, so that would make me feel good. Uh, I, 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 I don't know music. I don't even know what key I sing in. You know, I don't. I, I, and Pops left me. I said, Lord, Daddy. You left me. I don't know what key I sing in yet. <laughs> so, so uh, I, I'm just grateful. My, 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 my voice is is my God-given gift, and I, I just want to use it the way that I feel that He wants me to use it, and He, for good, you know, to help lift people and and uh, inspire. You know, so when I'm singing these songs, that's the way I feel. I'm doing, I'm doing the best I can. I'm doing my job. <laughs> your, your father and your family knew Martin Luther King Jr. quite well. <clears throat> How did that come about? Well, we, um, we happened to be in Montgomery, Alabama. We were to sing that night at 8 o'clock. And this was like 1960. 60, a Reverend... A Reverend Martin Luther King had a radio show, and Pops had been hearing it. So Pops, he called us to his room that Sunday morning, and he said, listen, y'all, this man Martin is here, Martin Luther King. He said, I've been hearing him, and um, 
he has a church here, and I would like to go to his 11 o'clock service. Do you all want to go? We said, yeah, Pops, we want to go. Did you know who he was at that time? I didn't know. I didn't know. <clears throat> Only Pops had heard him on the radio. And because uh, he wasn't being seen yet, the, the movement hadn't started really good yet, you know. So um, we get to Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, and uh, we were ushered in. Someone let Dr. King know we were in the service, and he acknowledged us. He said, I'm glad to have Pop Staples and his daughters here this morning. I hope you enjoy the service. And uh, we enjoyed the service. So Dr. King, at the end of the service, he would stand at the door, shake the worshipers' hands as they filed out. And uh, my sisters and I, we walked past, we shook his hand. And when Pop's turn came, he shook his hand, and he stood there and talked with him for a while. And uh, he finally came on, got in the car, we'll get back to the hotel. He called us to his room again. He said, listen, y'all, I really like this man's message. I like his message. And I think that if he can preach it, we can sing it. And we started writing, we, well, Pops, you know, whatever Pops say we're going to do, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> and so we started writing freedom songs. We wrote March Up Freedom's Highway. That was the, the, the march from Selma to Montgomery. <clears throat> then we wrote, it's a long walk to D.C., but I got my walking shoes on. And that was for the march to Washington. When will we be paid for the work we've done? And why am I treated so bad? Why am I treated so bad was Dr. King's favorite. And every time we get ready to go to meeting, you know, we sing before he would speak. He'd say, Stape, now Stape, you're going to sing my song tonight, right? Stape. Stape. <laughs> <laughs> he called Pop Stape, yeah. He says, uh, and Pop said, oh, yeah, doctor, we're going to sing your song. And uh, we would sing, Why Am I Treated So Bad? And Pops wrote that song around nine children in Little Rock, Arkansas. They were trying to board a bus, Central High School, and for, for, for oh, weeks they tried to board this bus, and they, they were walking to a crowd of people, just angry, just angry called them names. The kids, they just kept on walking. They have their books, and they were dressed neatly, and they were proud. You know, they walked tall, and Oh, they were spat upon. They were just, oh, and, and I, they were my age. So I was really interested. You know, we would watch the news. We'd watch every day. And it got so, went so long to, until the, the, the mayor of Little Rock, the governor of Arkansas, Fathers, mm -hmm. and, and the president of the United States, said, let those children board that bus. And we just wanted it. We were so happy. Wanted to see them board the bus. And uh, this particular day, as soon as they got up to the door, to the bus, a policeman was standing there. And he put his billy club across the door. And that's when Pop said, now, why is he doing that? Why are you treating them so bad? And he wrote that song that evening. Why am I treated so bad? And that, it uh, turned out to be Dr. King's favorite. Uh, um, you know, there, there were so many reasons so many it wasn't hard to write a freedom song <laughs> no you like i say read the headlines watch the news and your lyrics are right there yeah that's did, one of my favorite songs too did, did reverend king like to sing along 
Now, I never saw him sing along. He would always have, you know, that's one thing about Dr. King. I, uh, I, I, I hold on to his laughter, the sound of his laughter. You know, anytime I look at him, I see him, he, he was either looking serious or he was looking sad. You know, and when I'd hear him laugh, I, oh, Dr. King is happy, you know. And, and the most of the time when the, all the men, they would be down on the parking lot getting ready to go to the meetings, and they'd be in a circle, and all of a sudden you'd hear this laughter, and Dr. King was louder than anybody. And I said, oh, Dr. King is happy. You know, so I, I hang on. I, I, at the sound of his laughter, I still remember it. What was it like for you when he was shunned? Do you remember that day? Oh, I remember very well. I remember so well. We were in Nashville, Tennessee, and we were about to go to our program to, our, our, to sing. And uh, we were in a, by this time, you know, people were building, black people were building motels and stuff. So we were in this black motel, and um, uh, we heard somebody say, turn that jukebox off. The jukebox was going around, and... Uh, because it came on the news. Well, we didn't have the news on because we were on our way out the door to go to, and the, 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 the manager ran around to our rooms and he told us, he said, Pops, Dr. King has been, been shot. And we went back in the rooms and turned on the news and oh, it, it's just, my father tried to hold all three of us, my sisters and I was just, just the worst. It was the worst uh, news that you could, you know, we couldn't sing. We, we, uh, Pop said, you all pack your clothes, we're going home. And, uh, that was, that was, it was like a, a, a family member. Dr. King, someone so, so humble and so good, you know, for it to be shot down like that. Just, it, it was, it, 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 I'll always remember that moment, always. It, it seems like it still affects you quite deeply. When I think about it. When I think about it, I get full, you know, and I cry sometimes still, you know. And um, it was the same way uh, when, uh, when President Kennedy was assassinated. You know, we loved him. And uh, he, we were on our way to Washington. Amazingly, we were going to sing in Washington. And Pops, we stopped at the service station and... Um, Pops got out of the car, we heard it on the radio. And he told the service station attendant, he said, they, they, they just shot the president. And this man said, good. And Pops said, you get that pump out of my car. Get it out right now. You know, he, he just, he was, he didn't care. You know, because uh, the President Kennedy was a good man, too. That's why they put them together. John, Martin, and... Uh, Bobby. Robert, Bobby. Bobby. Yeah, Bobby, John, and Martin. Yeah, they, they were three men who were so much alike. Their hearts, they had good hearts. Did it change things for the, the staple singers after Reverend King was shot? Were things different then? You know, um, after Dr. King was assassinated, it, it was just... It, 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 it was different. Yes, it was different. People were just on a low. People were sad, but we were determined to go on. 
you know, to go on. We kept on singing. And, and the, the singing was more, um, I think I, I, I put more in mine because I was singing for Dr. King, too, you know. Um, uh, uh, it was different. The world was different. You know, and people seem to have been nicer to us at sometimes, you know. They were, the, the, we'd go to the airport, and, and you, you have good whites, you know, everybody wasn't bad. And they would be so nice as they, we felt they, they were sympathy, to, they, they, they were hurting too. People loved Dr. King, everybody loved Dr. King. You know, so uh, we felt good that uh, you go in the airports and, and uh, you know, people are, uh, are talking to each other, and you know, it, it was a time that kind of brought us together better, closer together, you know. But uh, it was a time where we, uh, we, our, our, our business of music, it was, it was more important, even more important. Well, and the staple singers got bigger in a way. I mean, your audience got bigger. Yes, yes it did. Um, was that, a, was that a, a decision that you all made to, to try and get a bigger audience? Uh-uh. Or did it just happen? No, it just happened. You know, um, the, the, the folk festivals would call us. The songs we were singing, people wanted to hear them. So we could call to blues festivals, folk festivals, jazz festivals. Everybody wanted to hear our songs that we were singing and um, I, I asked Pops one time, I said, Dad, why, why these blues people? Why are, they, <laughs> why are they calling us to sing? You know, Pops said, well, maybe was, you know, the blues, he said, I, I, the, our songs that we sing, our music, and, and the, the, the voices that Pops gave us to sing, and Pops, for years, we sang gospel. And we didn't know Pops was playing the blues on his guitar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't realize it. B.B. King said, girl, you, you know your daddy playing the blues. I said, my daddy ain't playing no blues. <laughs> and uh, all the blues guys just crazy about Pops. You know, and uh, Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, all of those. And, uh, but Daddy told me, he said, you know, Mavis, is in our music, it's some of every kind of music in our music and and he brought it from the deep south the delta and uh the way pops was brought up and, and the voices that he gave us to sing if you notice nobody sound like the staple singers those are voices that our father gave us that he and his sisters and brothers used to sing when they were in mississippi if you're listening to an old school radio station and they play <clears throat> Respect yourself, or I'll take you there. Mm-hmm. People think it's it's a cool old R and B song. Yeah. Do you think of them that way too, or are no. they something different? No, I think of them as message songs, inspirational, informative. Respect yourself. You know, we when we recorded "Respect Yourself," there was a gang in Chicago, Blackstone Rangers, and they were some tough guys. No better. One of the guys. Uh, um, Walked up to Papa, she said, Papa Staples, I'm so glad you and your daughters recorded that song, Respect Yourself. He said, I didn't know. I wasn't respecting myself. I'd get on the bus, and a little old lady would be standing up. I'd be sitting down. I wouldn't get up and let her sit down. He said, but after I heard that song, I would get up and let her sit down. 
And so Pop said, well, see, that's what we, that's what we sing these kind of songs. We want to teach you. We want you to, to learn uh, through our songs. I'll take you there. We were getting put out of the church, but I'll take you there. The people, <laughs> I'll take you there. We talk, we're telling you, I know a place. Ain't nobody crying. Ain't nobody worried. Ain't no smiling faces lying to the races. Where else could we be taking you but to heaven? And the church folk, them staples sing. <laughs> and staples sing singing the devil's music. <laughs> also, we did so many interviews, and we're telling these people, I would tell them the devil ain't got no music. You know? <laughs> All the music is God's music, you know, and, and, and you have to listen to our lyrics. They would hear that beat, and, and it switched over to R&B stations. We didn't ask them to do that. We made our song for gospel music, but they, they heard that beat. They would they they put it on R and B, and then the kids got to it, and they would play it in the club. Everybody would hit the floor when they hear, I know a place, <laughs> and and uh, so the church people after we did so many interviews, they we were invited back to church. The very first song requested. I'll take you there. Yes. <laughs> Staple singers singing the devil's music. Yeah. No, no, no. So we have seen sometimes our music, our songs, we, the Staple singers, have sang one secular song out of our entire career. And that was Let's Do It Again. Mm-hmm. You know, Doctor? Yes. Let's yes. Do It Again. And Pops, Curtis Mayfield, that was a movie score. Mm-hmm. Curtis called us. He said, Pops, I want y'all to do this. Well, we got in the studio. He showed me my part, and I listened. And he told Pops, he said, now, Pops, this is your part. And he come with, I like your lady. So fine with your pretty hair. Pops said, Curtis, man, I ain't going to say that. (laughs) He said, said, I'm a church man. I'm not going to say that. And Pops, oh, Curtis, he begged, oh, come on, Pop, come on, the Lord won't mind. He said, said, I'll pray, I'll pray for you. And Pop, (laughs) Pop kept telling me, no, man, no. And, And we wanted to hear our voices on the big screen, so we started begging Pop. We said, oh, Daddy, it's just a, it's just a movie score, you know. And, uh. Pop finally came on through, and we went to this premiere to see this movie, Jan Kennedy, this pretty girl. She, she walked past Bill Cosby. He was driving a tractor, and, and all of a sudden you hear Pop, I like you, lady. <laughs> <laughs> and we all looked around, and Pop just got this big smile on his face. <laughs> i tell you so. So that was the only, and, and we'd sing it on stage. Hey, you'd be surprised how the ladies used to scream for, for, for Frank Sinatra. When Pop, I sing my part. When Pop started, whoa, you know, the ladies <laughs> say, Pops, see, you didn't want to sing. Well, that's all right now. Y'all just go on. Now. I sing, I sing. <laughs> yes, indeed. Let's Do It Again was a platinum, platinum million 
double million seller for the staple singers. What's your favorite song from the staple singers? I mean, like if you're driving and one of the songs comes on the radio, is there one that you go, ah, you turn it up? Respect yourself. Respect yourself. That, that one in our later days, when we first began singing, for years, Uncloudy Day. Uncloudy Day. That was a song that brought us on the road. When we started singing, we weren't singing for a career. We were singing to amuse ourselves. My father, my mother worked nights, pops worked days, and pops would keep us at night. And we finished our homework, you know, uh, Pops has a little guitar he bought at the pawn shop. He called us in the, the living room, set us on the floor in a circle, and started giving us these voices to sing uh, that his sisters and brothers would sing. And so uh, my auntie came through one night. She said, shucks, y'all sound pretty good. <laughs> she said, I believe I want y'all to sing at my church Sunday. And Lord, we're so happy. We're going to sing somewhere other than on the living room floor. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> we sang at Aunt Katie's church that Sunday. The people clapped us back. We didn't even know what clapping us back meant. The people had to come and tell us, they want to hear you again. We had to sing that same song three times. <laughs> and, and Pops, Pops got, he said, shucks, these people like us. We're going home and learn some more songs. <laughs> and the rest is history. And that, that first song that he taught us was Will the Circle Be Unbroken? Yes, and the, first, the very first song that we recorded, I was 14 years old, Uncloudy Day. And Will the Circle Be Unbroken was on, the, it was a 45. And um, that song went so, you know, we started getting letters. People didn't believe that I was a little young girl. I had this heavy voice. I was singing bass on the record. You know, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we, we would sing the song down in harmony. Oh, they tell me of a home. You know, we sing it all down. And then at the end of that verse, I would come with, Well, 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 oh, Lord, they tell me now. And this would go all over the radio. So when we would go to these places, the disc jockey would say, That's little 14-year-old Mavis, little girl singing it. People would oh, know. That's not a little girl. I either had to be a man or a big fat lady. <laughs> I, they would bet. They would bet that I was not a little, how a little skinny, knock knee girl. And, and uh, the people would actually bet. So we would fool them. We knew they had bet. We get to the, we'd start singing. Whoa, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. And we'd get to my part. The people would just be going on. My brother would step up to the mic like he was going to say, well, and you'd hear him all over the world. I told you. See there? I told you there wasn't no little girl. I told you. And by they going through that, I, I'm up there saying, well, 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 you know. And, oh, the place would just go. The one man came. He said, little old girl, I bet my whole paycheck you wasn't on <laughs> He was mad at me. <laughs> Pops told him, he said, see that? You shouldn't bet. You shouldn't bet. There she is. I tell you. And at 14, I was still, you know, you, you wouldn't have thought I was 14. I was short, you know. But um, that song has me sitting here today, Uncloudy Day. 
Well, where did that voice come from in, inside that little girl? <laughs> my mother and my grandmother had strong voices. And from there, my singing comes from Pops' side of the family, but my voice is from my mother's side of the family. Now, you don't want to hear my mother sing. <laughs> mama, mama would not. My, my mother was the best cook in the world. But to sing, no, no, no. <laughs> we would be begging mama, please stop, please. <laughs> she would try, but we, we, we'd ask her to please stop. But yes, it, my grandmother had a strong voice and my mother. That's where I get my voice. And uh, Pops, Pops was a, my father could sing. My father, he was the coolest singer. You know, I love to hear him sing, Respect Yourself. You know, and there's another song I love, Too Close to Heaven, Pops would sing. And uh, he could sing for me anytime. But he liked to rehearse too much, you know. And, and he wouldn't sing, he, he wouldn't call it a rehearsal. All right, y'all, rehearsal. We're gonna re <laughs> it's time for rehearsal. And so I'd, he, if he could find me, I'd come on and rehearse with I like to play a lot. I like to stay out and play. But uh, I'm glad that uh, I rehearsed. I hate that I don't know the key I sing in. You know, what key. I went to the, the Lakers. I'm going to sing the national anthem for the Lakers basketball team. And the organist asked me, well, Miss Staples, what key would you like? And I said, well, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I ran to the phone booth. I called Pops. I said, Daddy, what key do I sing this national anthem in? He said, Mavis, let me get my guitar. He got his guitar and he started. He said, well, take it to your highest point. Da, 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 da. You know, and I did that. He said, okay, you go back, tell him you're singing in the key of A. And I made it. <laughs> I tell you, I, 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 uh, when I did this CD with Rakuda, I told him, I said, now, Rye, you have to work with me because I don't know, you know, you, you, you play, and when I feel comfortable, that's where I'll sing. And he went along with me, and we didn't have any problem. He got to where he knew where I should sing. You know, first couple of songs, he had to work with me, but the rest of the songs, he would just hit. And I and we we come together. Mavis, this is such a small thing; it's a silly thing. But your family name is Staples. Yes. But the band was the Staple Singers. Well, why? Where did the S go? We dropped it. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. <laughs> we, we dropped it because you know. To say the Staples Singers, that's not easy. The Staples Singers. So we dropped the S and kept, start, kept with Staples. But now Staples Office Supply. <laughs> <laughs> and Staples Center. You know, and I asked Pops when I started seeing that, you know, they came late in my life. And I asked Dad, I said, Pops, the Staples, is that our slave name? You know? What, where are they coming from? Who are these staple people? You know, <laughs> who are these staples? And he said, Mavis girl, you know uh, that that is my my his granddaddy, his great granddaddy were slaves, and they, you know, the slave master gave you their name. So 
I was right. I said, well, those Staples Center and Staples Office Supply owe me, too. (laughs) (laughs) Using my name. And were the Lakers playing at the Staples Center when you sang the National Anthem? No, no, no. It wasn't built then. This was... was, uh, The Forum. Inglewood Forum. Abdul Jabbar. Oh, yes. This was years ago. Abdul Jabbar and those guys. Kobe Bryant wasn't there yet. Kobe Bryant probably wasn't born. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I, I can't... (laughs) I can't believe it, but we're just about out of time, and we have to see if anyone in the audience has a question. Let's go to this gentleman there. You know, I I have recollections. Pops showed us, he took us to the place where he proposed to Mama. He showed us where he brought his first guitar. It was a hardware store. It wasn't a hardware then, but the area. He said, this right here is where I brought my first guitar. He showed us this big tree on uh, Dockery's farm, plantation, where he and my uncle would climb that tree, the, the, the biggest tree you ever seen. And he took us to the cemetery. He showed us the headstones of his mother and father and his grandparents. Just beautiful, they're still beautiful headstones. And um, uh, I have fun, I have great memories of where Pops, he showed us where he used to pick cotton. And he and Mama, they, they, they had this little house. My sister Yvonne and I weren't born yet. We weren't born yet, but Purvis and Cleotha, they stayed at the house, a little wooden house. And they were, you know how kids used to make mud pies? No, y'all don't know about mud yes. pies. You know, <laughs> used to make mud pies. Well, they wanted to bake them, and they they burned the house down. <laughs> he showed us all of that. He showed us. So, so I have memories. I, I I can I recollect. You know, I I have a pretty good memory. I'm I'm grateful for that. I remember all of that. I remember everything that Pops taught us and the places he showed us in the South where he grew up. He told us funny stories about my Uncle Sears. You know, there were 14 children in Pops' family. 14 children. Pops and Uncle Sears, they're the last two. They ran out of names. So they named my Uncle Sears and they named Pops Roebuck. So, (laughs) yeah. They had him a Sears Roebuck. And, and, and Pop, Pops and Uncle Sears were the two young, they were buddies. They were, so he would tell us stories about Uncle Sears. He said, Sears was just crazy. Sears, old mule, Pops had us getting this mule, and Sears was pulling the mule. Mule wouldn't come on, so Uncle Sears socked him. Knocked, him, <laughs> knocked the mule out. <laughs> Tell us all of these. My father, my father, uh, uh, he was he was a, he was a he was a, a hands-on father. You know, pops, pops would would take us to the movies on Saturdays, take us to Sunday school on Sunday morning, and he would he would make us peanut bristol. He knew peanut brittle. He knew how to make this peanut brittle with syrup and little Spanish peanuts and. Oh, my mama just let him have us. You know, he he wanted. <laughs> he we were with pops all the time, all the time. When, you know, back in the day, the the you wouldn't see a father a lot with their children. And I remember hearing the the ladies at the church, the mothers' board, and they that look at that father. That father got have his children with him. 
then a lot of times we, we went on for so long, people would start out, is your mother living? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we said, yeah, our mother's at home. We have our mother's at home. So I, I just, uh, I, I, I feel very, very, very fortunate to uh, have come at the time that I did in this world. <laughs> Sister Mahalia Jackson, all of the wonderful, she was my idol. Sister, Mah- Sister Rosetta Tharp, Sister Dorothy Love Coates, all of these were great ladies. Ruth Davis of the Davis Sisters. Oh, shucks. Just, uh, <laughs> just, I had a good time coming up. Good time. Pops wouldn't let the guys, you know, we, we would go out on the road and we met the Dixie Hummingbirds, Nightingales, and different singers. And if, if you ain't seen them in a long time, they want a hug. And Pops wasn't having it. <laughs> Y'all get away from my daughters. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> we, my sister Yvonne and Cleetie and I, we were all about the same. So people thought we were triplets because we were just about the same size. Look, I'm, 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 I ate a lot of mama's food. <laughs> <laughs> But I have really enjoyed being with you today. Oh. Well, it, it's been a real pleasure. Can't stop me now, can you? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.